In the mountains surrounding Acapulco, there exists a town full of women, only women. And being a woman is a deadly mistake here. Girls masquerade as boys to evade would-be kidnappers. Their schools are covered in the literal poison used to kill the area's poppy and marijuana crops. Their friends are buried in the ground alive by their mothers, and dead bodies pop up like flowers blooming in a land where drug lords are the earth. In this place, one girl must hide the lies of her family while relying on her mother, neighbors, and her own self-determination if she ever hopes to breathe again the air of freedom. The girl, Lady Di Garcia Martinez. The book, Prayers for the Stolen. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! Society, a show about books and drama. Boom, 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 drama. <laughs> you know, Alexis, every week we ask each other what we've been up to. And since quarantine, we, be, we ain't been up to nothing. Nothing, nothing. Not a thing. Mm-hmm. So I want to switch it up this week. And I'm going to put you on the spot because you love that. And we're going <laughs> to play a game. We're going to play a game I made up called Who Said That? In this game, I will ask you five questions based on past shows. Each question is worth one point. Receive five points and you win. Are you ready? Yeah, because I want to know, is it worth it? A million dollars. I got you, girl. (laughs) The excitement. All right, here we go. Irritating my allergies. Who said that? Round one. Who said that, Alexis? Man is the only real enemy we have. Remove man from the scene, and the root cause of hunger and overwork is abolished forever. Now, I have to say the name of the person or just associated to a book. If you don't mind, who said that? Also the book, and for bonus points, the author. I'm sick of you. I'm sick of you already. <laughs> Don't don't start my third. Do you really be like reading this. these books? We about to That's find out. That's not the point. That's not the point. How many? Can I call a friend? Phone a friend? Mm-hmm. Ain't no friends we know that read like us. So no. <laughs> <laughs> Readers, help me out. Man is the only real enemy we have. Remove man from the scene, and the root cause of hunger and overwork is abolished forever. There's somebody screaming at their car radio right now. Oh, please tell me, tell me. Do you listen, need, listen, I get time. I, I, Cause I know these words are in my head. I do know the answer. Did you want a hint? I can give you a hint. Oh, good. Eric Arthur. I know. Oh, there you go. <laughs> say it again. Say it again. Eric Arthur Blair. That don't help me. What is that kind of clue? <laughs> I just, okay, by the way, so this is I the was, easiest one. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, um, the complete Persepolis, and I don't know who said it. Right. So, uh, you wrong. That quote is from Old Major, the book Animal Farm. Oh, that the was the author, Eric Arthur Blair, pseudonym George Orwell. Boo. <laughs> yeah, boo, boo yourself. No, that's in boo this, you. 
In this quote, Old Major is inspiring the farm animals with a dream he had, inducing them to fight for their freedom from the farmer. Next. Number two. Oh, Oh, who said that? Who said that? Okay, so who said this, Alexis? A big black man appeared to me and told me what to mix up for my hair. Madam C.J. Walker. (laughs) Okay, very good. The book. The book is on her own ground. Uh Uh-huh. Now self-made is the title, but yes, on her own. Bonus points for knowing the original title. That's the only one I know. (laughs) And who's the author? Alilia Bundles. Okay, Bundles, there we go. Here Walker explains why no one else can duplicate her concoction. The recipe came to her in a dream given to her by, and I quote, a big black man. (laughs) 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 Number three, I got five of them things, just so you know, five five of them things. Mm -hmm. Number three, who said that, Alexis? Respect was invented to cover the empty place where love should be. Who, who can write like that, that you know? Respect was invented to cover the empty place where love should be. I'm, I'm going to say, I, I got to start off with the book and this one. Do what you got to do then, girl. Because also, I don't know the answer. By the way, readers, Alexis hates being put on the spot. Mm-hmm. She, she will forget her name if you ask her too fast. <laughs> so this is funny to me. Okay, girl. <laughs> that is so true. The fact that it's you so just true. ain't got got up and walked away right now. Um, progress. <laughs> I'm so, trying to live. So, I just want to live. Go, go ahead with your guesstimate. Go ahead, girl. <laughs> I think that quote belongs to Remembering Laughter mm. by Wallace Stegner. Maybe not. <laughs> You were so sure, though. I know, I know, I know. Uh, could it be, could it be? Um, mm, mm. Here's your hint. Happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Okay, that was my second guess. That's what made me question <laughs> my first guess. Okay. Um, that is from the book Anna Karenina. Anna but Karenina. Who actually said that. <laughs> Who's the author? <laughs> You don't know oh, who Leo wrote? Toy Story. Leo <laughs> Toy Story. Okay. The pressure. This is so this, uncomfortable. She is sweating. I wish y'all could see this. We got to start recording live so people can see your reactions. Okay. Mm. So this quote, respect was invented to cover the empty place where love should be, is definitely said by Anna herself. In this scene, Anna is angry with Vronsky for choosing to see his mother instead of spending time with her. And when Vronsky accuses Anna of not respecting his mother, Anna points to Vronsky's own lack of love for the woman, for that woman, for his mama. Mm. Number four. <laughs> Are you ready, girl? Loosen up. This three? is number four. This is number four. <sighs> and you've gotten one so far. Kudos. Um, oh, well, no, you, you kind of got the last one. I'm going to give you that. Two out I of get three so far. Yeah, okay. sure. Now I'll give you that whole point. You get the family discount. Who said <laughs> that, Alexis? <laughs> a weak friend is more dangerous to you than a strong enemy. A weak friend is more dangerous to you than a strong enemy. Can I have a hint, please? A uh, Harlem. <laughs> Dapper Dan. That's right. What's the book? Made in Harlem by Dapper Dan or, or Daniel 
day. Day. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Okay. While, <laughs> while variations of the statement, including a strong foe is better than a weak friend, have been repeated for decades, Dan made it his own and delivered it as he does everything with style. So I love that quote. A weak friend is more dangerous to you than a strong enemy. And lastly, Alexis, who said that? Lonely, ain't it? Yes, but my lonely is mine. Now your lonely is somebody else's, made by somebody else and handed to you. Ain't that something? A secondhand lonely. I mean, did we even read that book? No. I did. Why? Did you? Point. Now I can see if you really be reading the books I recommend on this show. (laughs) You be going through the spark notes like, "Uh and what I thought was interesting was on chapter six, paragraph two. (laughs) Listen, your lies have been revealed. It was a spark note for every book. Because I would. (laughs) Everything done in the dark shall come to light. That's another quote for you. And it ain't Lauren Uh, Hill. Can I just get a hint, please? Oh, we have a candle in our shop that we create that is inspired by this very book. (laughs) That don't help. That don't help. Do better. Because our our candles... Hey, readers, because our handcrafted candles are of such high quality, we only got like four fragrances. <laughs> so out of these four, she don't. refuses to pick one. And, and and for real, this is the only book of that collection written by a black author. Ooh. So that's from Sula. That's mm. done by Sula herself. Sula was written by Toni Morrison, the Toni Morrison. And it comes... Um, Nell Nell comes to Sula's deathbed in hopes of seeing remorse in Sula's face. But Sula stubbornly refuses to pity Nell. She is lonely, yes. You know, Sula's lonely. Just like Nell. But Sula's loneliness is her own. Nell's loneliness was given to her by someone else. Uh, a secondhand lonely. Thank you, readers and Alexis, for playing. Who said that? to this show thank you <laughs> you know sometimes we gotta change it up you know we'll yeah. just be saying what you do this week nothing what you do nothing where was you at the more house? nothing where was you at the house mm-hmm. now it's time for society says where we share your comments readers with the rest of our lit society alexis is there a comment you thought particularly lit this week Yes, I had an opportunity <laughs> to go back to the website because I saw a gem of a comment there. Ooh, that comment it. was from D.L. White, and he commented on our review of The Woman in the Window, and that was um, by A.J. Finn, and it was released in January. And D.L. said, since I just found your podcast, I've been listening back on episodes. This one is a gem. Hey. I recently discovered the um, lying ways of this author, and I was shocked. Shocked, I say. <laughs> I agree what whoever wrote this book can write. Might be Dan. Might be his dead brother, who definitely isn't dead. You may never know. Wait, what? was this in the comment? Yeah, that's all in the comments. Can I tell you, I curate the comments on our website to delete spam, and I don't remember that one. That is hilarious. Thank (laughs) you for listening, and thank you for sharing yourself in such a real way. I love that comment. That was great. I loved it. And by the way, 
There is a just footnote. There's a story coming out. We tweeted about it. Um, I also run the Twitter account, you guys, because Alexis has a life. So, (laughs) and it's being created. Thank you. I thank you. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. I love you. It's being created by a black woman, the Dan Mallory story. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And mm-hmm. the the story that's coming out, whatever it's gonna be a mini series or movie, settles on the um fact, I'ma say that he probably picked this plot up from another book and it names the book. And we talked about it a little bit on that episode. So, yeah, readers, if you want to know about that author, sometimes the author's story is just as juicy as the book. (laughs) Another one. uh, What's her name? Our first episode, Where the Crawdads Sing. Yep. Delia... Delia Owens, something like that. Something Girl, like they kill. That. They was killing folks. Maybe allegedly, I don't know. It's good. It's juicy. I ain't gonna lie to you. All hey, right. Mo. So, <laughs> did you I... have a comment? I'll move on. I'll move us along. Did you have a comment? I did. And guess where I'm pulling my comment from? You'll never guess. Um. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. Apple Podcast. Oh, my so favorite surprised. place. It's shocking. And this comes from Mocha Girl in GA. Hey, Georgia. Hey, Mocha hey, Girl in hey. Georgia. Her comment reads, new fave. I love podcasts. And Lit Society is a new never miss fave. Great books and lively discussion. Keep it going. Thank you, Mocha Girl in GA. Thank you. We appreciate you, girl. Remember, readers, to have your comments shared. Message us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or, and we especially love this one, leave (laughs) us a review on the iTunes Apple Podcast. Yes. All right, moving it along. Each week, we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading. And this week, our theme is how to live happily and successfully without a man in your life. Ooh, that's heavy. Ooh, Ooh, that is heavy. Sometimes we are without a man that's supposed to be there. um, And sometimes we are without a man because we're not looking for him to be there. Does that make sense? I'm not looking for a man. Let's start there. Let's start there. Okay. As Rihanna said, sometimes we ain't looking, but sometimes we grew up in a situation where the man is supposed to be there and he's not. Usually, I mean, sometimes they die. That happens. And sometimes they be gone like they did. So, Alexis, mm. can I ask you, what do you think? Can women be happy and successful without a man in the picture? Uh, Yes, Kari. <laughs> mm. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes people assume that a single woman um, is not single by choice, that they want somebody, anybody. And, that and they'll marry true. at whatever chance they get. Well, I have to say the single women in my life have their stuff together, spiritually, financially, and anyone that comes along has to like meet them on that level or mm-hmm. elevate them in some yep. way. That's, I yep. mean, right? If you're going to be with somebody forever. <laughs> Upgrade me. Unless you adopt it <laughs> and you trying to help raise a, somebody else's kid. No, you want your man to elevate you nobody in interested some in way. that. Yeah. So here's an idea. Most single women are single by choice. Think about that. Most single women are single by choice. Marriage might be a goal, but the truth is you could go out and marry Mr. Ugabubu with no drive or respectable characteristics today if you wanted to. You he could. would marry you, girl. He, he would, would. I promise. I promise. Just to have a place to live. So you are choosing not to pursue that option. <laughs> exactly. Why? 
because you don't see the need to settle. And I think that's worth celebrating. Hello. (laughs) So, you know, I had a time in my life when I was single, when I left my parents' house and I was living on my own. It was short compared to my ripe old age today. Maybe you are single at the moment, I think, because she be getting gifts, y'all. I don't really be in the Lexus business like that, so I'm going to keep it light. I'm going to keep it light and superficial. Oh, I'm starting to sweat. So do you think you can offer some tips for grown folks, grown women who are right now, um, how can single women live life happily and successfully without a man in the picture? I think the first and most important tip would be to know yourself and know what makes you happy. You got to be happy alone to be happy with somebody else. Whoa. Your joy (laughs) and your happiness starts with you. So don't look for someone else to make you happy? No, no, ma'am. Please don't do that. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not happy yourself, you can't make anybody else or contribute to anybody else's happiness. And in the line... Ooh, ooh, that's judgy. Now, in the line of happiness and knowing what makes us happy, another, um, I'll say tip, but really it's just like some things that have worked for us. Live with passion and purpose. Go full steam ahead toward your dreams before your attention's divided between the goals and dreams of someone else. Because that's what marriage is, right? It's a dividing of two it's like taking two lives and making them one so your dreams must become their dreams and vice versa so while you're single alone pursue your passions and go full steam ahead with them no holes barred yeah some people have a tendency to wait their life so they can have these experience with a a mate Mm. that's not the way to go it's not it truly isn't you because you you're not um appreciating your singleness i'd say you don't know what you're going to get until you get married, <laughs> until you're with someone. <laughs> but, you, but you could learn you right now. And the right. truth is you hopefully will meet someone who just makes you happy and is a great match. And you guys are hom- harmonious in your thoughts. But that might not be the case. So why not right now, you know, be as happy as you can by pursuing your goals and doing things just for you. Right. And then nurture the relationships that are important to you. Friendships and familial relationships, you know, maybe go out of your way to make peace with certain people in your family um, just to um, improve on the skill of being a peacemaker, which is an important skill to have even in a marriage, but single as well. Um, enjoy me time. Romanticize it. Embrace it. What do you do Ooh. for you, Alexis? Ooh. Uh I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Because I'm always at me time, I feel like. <laughs> okay, so this is the thing, right? If, when you're single, you always with you, but but that's not me time. It's like being with a partner. you always with that partner, but that's not quality time. Y'all just together. So how okay. do you get into Alexis' head? How do you get into Alexis' head and Ooh. talk to Alexis? See where Alexis is. Is Alexis where she want to be? Where does Alexis want to go? And this is um, for all of us. Just because you married don't mean you don't have me time. Right, right. Okay, I can appreciate it. So I, when there was, I think for me, it's been more difficult to do that um, in quarantine. Yeah. Because I, I um, yeah, it's been more difficult to do that. So I can't think of a time over the past, has it been six or more months? Over the past six or more months that I've like actually, oh, that's a, that's a hit right there. You're yeah. making me think because I can't think of a time where I've actually done that. I and mean, my I, me I'm time, 
my me time used to be going on dates with myself. To eat in a restaurant mm-hmm. by yourself is the grownest thing you can do to me. Yeah. Or go see a movie by yourself and then just walk. Especially downtown Chicago is beautiful. I would love to just walk for miles and just think. We that, ain't in a situation where we, we can do that. Yeah, and so that uh, those are things that I would do. But since I've been home, no, no. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, let's think about this because, you know, we both, I guess, can improve on our me time. Yeah. We need to date ourselves. Important. Hey. Maybe um, Take me you out, know, a bath and a book. A bath and a book and a beer because I love alliteration. All that together <laughs> sounds beautiful. Oh. Some beer. Yeah, we'll yes. think about this. Mm-hmm. And avoid rosy retrospection by living in the moment. Oh, we talked about this. <laughs> yes. That was in our Great Gatsby episode. Mm-hmm. The one that got away. Hey, he wasn't the one. Or he wouldn't have got away. <laughs> we have to come with terms with that. We have yeah, to come to terms Let him with that. go make somebody else miserable. The truth is, Joan Clayton, I'm talking to you. Charles ain't <laughs> the one. Charles is not the one. And it's funny because just yesterday you and I were talking about lists. And Mm -hmm. goals, a la Joan Clayton, who was watching a little show. Yep. And I said that I definitely had a list growing up that laid out who I wanted to be by a certain age. And that list did not include a husband or a house. I thought I'd have mastered a few languages by now. I haven't. (laughs) I thought I'd be living in a different country right now. I'm not. That isn't to say that you can't be, um, you know, married and do those things. You absolutely can. But my point is just that. Um, life doesn't always go to plan and that can be great sometimes Uh, that doesn't mean we can't be successful and happy despite it not fitting the plan so if a husband was the plan and he has yet to show his face life goes on few of us are where we thought we'd be but we all deserve to be happy and then what about um being a single mom and raising a child or children um on your own mostly do you have any tips that worked for you well, once you make peace with the um, situation, at, for me, this is going to be the number one, the top or, yeah, this is it for me. This is my tip that I offer. Yeah. Once you make peace with the other party and the relationship, then you can be the best you for that child and for yourself. That's a lot, though. What if they trifling and they be saying they're going to come pick up your baby and don't show up and your baby be crying to you in right. your face? That, like, how come daddy don't? That's going to happen. That's going to happen. In some cases, it's not going to happen. Today, a lot of people are doing very well. I mean, and they've done it for years, co-parenting. But you have to make peace with the entire situation and figure out how to comfort your child without blaming and without... Mm. Um, Anything like instilling negative, negative yeah, yes. negative yep. mm-hmm. emotions for the other person. Yep. What about support from trusted relatives and friends? That's a major. You need yeah. the support. You need support. Don't push it away. Take it where you can get it. You may need to find that alone time. So they drop that. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, especially right now. Could you imagine being in a house with kids 24 7 for months? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Shout out to you, moms. Shout out to you. Absolutely. Lock yourself in that bathroom, girl. That's fine. Take you a glass of wine in there and you put some pillows in the bathtub and you just sit in there and let them knock on the door. Tell them your stomach hurt. You can't come out. 
or for an hour as, or two. A, as our book uh, um the person the mom in our book did you know just tie that child up somewhere and give <laughs> please, them some bread please don't tie your kids up like they dogs oh we gotta say this is fiction but it is shocking and my 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 uh belief has always been that everything written in fiction has for the most part happened in real life that's what i'm saying <laughs> i said that before to you yeah you're right you're right so back to the mamas and, you know, single dads, sure, take this if you want. But we looking at you, sis. <laughs> Be patient with your kids. Remember that they'll learn more by what you do than what you say. So you can scream at kids all day long, but they're going to look at your actions. Show sure um, and And base their, their, who they are on what you do. So don't feel like you got to yell at them. You know, all the time. But, you know, yell at them a little. Maybe beat them. I don't know. That's your choice. But the point is set clear boundaries. Don't be letting these kids walk on you. And Like I said, put you some pillows in that bathtub and lay out. And don't feel guilty. Take you a book in there. Just you time. You deserve it. Right. Anything else you want to add, Alexis, since, you know, you are the guru. i think it was a great list so i'm not gonna add anything extra it was um fulfilling well let's take a break then and get into our book prayers for the stolen okay a little bit about the author of Prayers for the Stolen. Maybe give us some context around the book. Okay, I gotta say I couldn't find a lot of information about um, our Jennifer. author Jennifer yeah, me Clement. Neither. Um, but she is an American Mexican author. She was born in 1960 in Greenwich, Connecticut. She moved in 1961 with her family to Mexico City but then moved back to the United States to finish high school. She studied English Lit and Anthropology from New York University, and she received a master's in fine arts from the University of Southern Maine. Her first book is Widow Basquiat. Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and that's about the, the painter in New York City in the 80s. And his lady, right? It, it could be. It doesn't say how much detail, but um, anyway, that was published in 2000. And it was held as a must-read, so maybe we should read that. And then her novel, her first novel, a true story based on lies, was a finalist in the Orange Prize for Fiction. Prayers for the Stolen was her first novel published in the U.S. The book came out in 2014 and became a New York Times book review editor's choice. Um, the first selection for... National Reading Group Month, great group reads, and appeared internationally on many of the best books of the year's list, including the Irish Times. She also received a National Endowment of the Arts Fellowship. And and actually in the back of her book, she thanks them. She acknowledges them um, as it's associated with this book. Yeah, I was just trying to make sure there wasn't an American dirt situation going on because Jennifer Clement does not strike me as a Hispanic name. But, you know, I don't really know her makeup, but she is Mexican-American. That and, we do know. And yeah. I think she lives in Mexico City now, right? Yeah, she lives in Mexico City now. Um, she's the author of several books of poetry 
And she became the first woman elected to be president of the Penn International, which right. is an association, a worldwide association of writers founded in London in 1921. And her books have been translated into 30 languages. I love it. So can you give us a brief, uh, no spoiler synopsis of Prayers for the Stolen? Lady Di's mother does everything in her power to save her daughter from being kidnapped by the drug traffickers. She makes her ugly dresses her as a boy, and hides her in a hole in the ground. When Lady Di finishes school, her mother finds the perfect opportunity to get her daughter off the mountain, but a ride to her future puts her in a position to risk her freedom. Mm, I so, love that. So, Kari, what were your yeah. first thoughts about the book? You know, I was just going to dip a toe into this book because I had the time. I finished our last book early. And I mean, we read a book a week. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. So if I have a little time, then I'll just maybe pick up the the next book as right. soon as I'm done with the current. Right. So what did we read last week? What was it? <laughs> That's a good question. Hmm. It was my book, too. Oh, Girl on the Train. So yes. as soon as I put down Girl on the Train, wow, that don't bode well for the book. <laughs> uh, as soon as I put down The Girl on the Train, I picked up um, Jennifer Clemens' book, Prayers for the Stolen, and I just read a couple pages. Then I read a couple more. Uh -huh. And then I was like, I'm not even in the mood for all of this drama. Mm. <laughs> and I had to just keep reading it. And then I think I read it in like two days. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So my first uh, thoughts were uh, a page turner. What about you? What were your first thoughts about Prayers for the Stolen? So I just, um, I, I, again, I'm still in my friend's bag. She gave me a bag to oh, take back yeah, to the you library. Have a bag. A bag of books your friend entrusted you to return to the library before leaving this country, I'm going to assume. And you just haven't. You just right. haven't done it. I so think it's been like three months now. You have betrayed her trust. Mm -hmm. But I'm working through. I think this is the last book. And then I can return them to the library. Uh, okay. Lori, Lori, you see what happens when you take away library fees? We don't know how to act out here. Hey, library, y'all ain't never going to get y'all books back. And on that note. Let's get into it. A spoiler-filled deep dive of Prayers for the Stolen. Take it away, Alexis. Okay. Spoiler-filled. Part one. Lady Di Garcia Martinez grew up in the state of Guerrero. She, and it's um, an area on a mountain outside of Acapulco, about an hour outside of Acapulco. She remembers being five years old when, her, when she first heard her mother say, Now we make you ugly. Her mother spread charcoal across her face and said, the best thing you can be in Mexico is an ugly girl because just being a girl gets you stolen. Once the narcos or the drug traffickers hear about a pretty girl, they sweep by in their black escalades and carry the girl off. So her mother dressed her as a boy and called her a boy. When she was born, her mother said, thank God it's a girl, even though nobody believed her. As soon as the smallest bumps... Thank God it's a boy. Thank God it's a boy. <laughs> so the mama came out and was like, it's a right. boy. Praise God, it's a boy. And everybody exactly. was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, we know that's a girl. Exactly. Ooh, sorry, I got that wrong early on. But for real, everybody was doing the same thing to protect their babies, so... Mm -hmm. Yep. And as soon as the smallest bumps showed on the chest of the girl, steps were taken to make sure they didn't look pretty. So when Lady Di was older, her mother would use yellow and black marker on her teeth so they appeared rotten. Her mother even suggested knocking her teeth out. She would watch little girls on TV getting pretty knowing that was something she simply couldn't, didn't have the luxury of doing. Lady Di had a friend named Paula who was considered the most beautiful girl in Guerrero. 
Yeah, they kept saying she was more beautiful than Jennifer Lopez. A yeah. lot they said that. Uh, yeah. Um, and I, I mean, it's fine, but I mean, we could talk about some Mexican beauties. There are some Mexicana beauties, too. You know, Selma's right there. But that's okay. We're going to let Jennifer have this one. Exactly, exactly. She but said, we got our eye on you, Jennifer Clement. <laughs> Go ahead. She said she was more beautiful than the girl's in Acapulco as well. And this was a huge compliment because anything that came out of Acapulco was considered glamorous and special. Paula's mother dressed her and uh, dresses stuff with rags that made her look fat. Paula's mother kept her hair short. Oh yeah, she was um, pushing things under her clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And rubbed her skin with chili powder so she'd have a permanent rash. But everybody could see Paula's beauty. So it was just a matter of time. To further protect the girls in the area, Paolo's or Paula, mom suggested they dig holes for the girls to hide in when they would hear the SUVs in the distance. It was said that if the girls were taken, they never returned. They were never heard from again. Not even a letter or a phone call. But Paula was stolen. And the year before she was stolen, the narcos barged into the house. Her mother was in the yard feeding the chickens. But Paula after she was kidnapped, did return, but she wasn't the same. It was a year later, and she was 15. Her mother held her in her lap like a baby and fed her milk out of a bottle. She even brought her Gerber baby food. Paula came back with a tattoo around her wrist that said Cannibal's Baby. On the mountain that they lived on, there were no men. The men had crossed the river for the U.S., and when crossed, they would shed their women and children and walk into the great big USA cemetery. They sent money and came back once or twice, but that would be it. So the mountain they lived on was clumps of women working, trying to raise themselves up. The only men around seemed to be associated with the drug game. They had to make sure they never looked into their eyes. Uh, Lady Di's mom worked for a rich family in Acapulco. Her father, before he left for the States, also worked in Acapulco as a bartender at a hotel. On his last visit, her mother knew it would be the last. Lady Di wanted to know how, how her mother know, knew mama? that. Why? Yeah, how you know daddy ain't never, ever, ever going to come back? Yeah. She said her mother told her to pay attention. So she did. She kind of followed him around the house like a security guard following a black person in the store. And then he said, <laughs> you and your mama are too good for me. I don't deserve you. He never returned. Eventually, he stopped sending money. The families left behind would learn through the rumor route from the U.S. to Mexico that the men had new families over there. Over here, Lady Di and her mother lived alone in a shack surrounded by objects her mother had stolen over the years. Her mom. Was yeah, her thief. mama steals. Her mom steals. Big time. Her mom go to her friend's house, steal from them. Her mom go to work, steal from them people for sure. You know, she, her mom steals. Her mom steals. Okay. She's a thief. Mm-hmm. She's, She's a thief. A thief. Mm-hmm. Her father Thank caught it also. stealing. Her mother considered mm-hmm. it borrowing, even though she never returned anything. Lady she died. was borrowing it indefinitely. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I borrow some things from you indefinitely. I believe okay, that. You're going to get it back. You're going to get it back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe that. <laughs> Lady Di's friend, Maria, was born with a cleft palate. Maria's father left her after birth and never returned. 
Because of the cleft palate, Maria's mother um, wasn't worried about Maria being stolen. Maria was the only one with a brother, the only one of um, Lady Di's friends with a brother. He was four years older, and his name was Mike. Lady Di's mother spoke poorly of Mike. She said he was placed on earth to break women's hearts. Yeah, Lady he must Di- have been a cute little boy. Yeah, that's in what a I was land saying. where there was like no men, mm-hmm. so they knew he wasn't gonna grow up to be nothing good. No good. I said that about some people, cute kids too. Like, oh, I ain't even gonna get attached to this kid because he gonna be just a little rotten thing. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Di's mom came by after Maria was born and looked at Maria, and she said she was born inside out and just needed to be turned around. So she registered her at the clinic and registering her at the clinic would allow Maria to get the needed operation when the doctors came from Mexico City every few years to provide free operations in the area. The doctors finally came eight years later. When the doctors arrived, they were escorted by army trucks so that the drug traffickers wouldn't take them. Drug traffickers would kidnap doctors because either someone needed care or for ransom. While they waited for Maria's surgery to finish, they waited at the beauty parlor. The beauty parlor was run by Ruth. There, Lady Di had her first experience of feeling like a girl. She had her nails painted. Mm -hmm. But she had to have the nail polish removed before she left the salon. It was too risky. Maria's surgery went well, and they headed home. And the closer... Lady Di and her mother got, they noticed the movements of the ants and the vultures circling. They knew something dead was nearby. There was a dead body. It was the body of a young boy, perhaps 16. His body was mutilated and he had a note pinned to his shirt that said, Paula and two girls, question mark. Lady Di and her mother buried the boy. Lady Di's mother went to tell Paula's mother about the note. Everyone could see what was coming. This was the day Lady Di's mother stopped eating and only drank. Lady, Lady Di had another friend. Her name was Stephanie. She was tall, skinny, and had the blackest skin. Her family had a real house with three bedrooms, kitchens, and a living room. And she had the darkest skin in their friend group. Yeah. Because a lot of um, the people in the area, well, a lot of Mexicans have Afro blood in them, right. African blood. So her family just had like the darkest skin. I want to make it clear. She wasn't like their black friend. Oh, these are right, all Mexican sure. girls from the area. Yeah, yeah. This area is filled with, they call them Afro. Do they call them Afro Indians or something? That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, they, they're dark skinned women, um, children, families in this area. Mm-hmm. Her, like I mentioned, the family had a real house. Um, Estefan, Stephanie. Stephanie lived with her mother and her two little sisters. Stephanie's father was the only one who came back from the U.S. every year. He had worked on fishing boats in Alaska and as a gardener. He also sent them money every month. Thanks to him, there was electricity on their mountain. He had uh, electricity wired throughout the whole mountain where they live. So everyone's home in the area had electricity because of him, because of that one man. Yeah. And I feel like that's symbolic of what one head in an area can do for the rest of the families. Yeah. Why it's so important for, why it's so important for everyone in the family to handle their responsibilities. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, yeah. So when Stephanie's mother got sick, she was getting thin. She didn't know why they took her to the doctor. Um, 
she found out she had the AIDS virus. And mm, after, how'd she get that, Alexis? She got in the, the mountain with no man. Yeah, let's figure this out. After she got the diagnosis, guess what? Her husband slapped her around, called her a whore, and left. He said, mm. if she had AIDS, it's because she was unfaithful. But of course, this was <laughs> in impossible. In a mountain with no man. <laughs> Impossibility. Mm-hmm. One day, Lady Di's mother told her that her father had relations with all the women in the so area. So this is another man, okay? So a Stephanie daddy ain't no good because he done brought AIDS to the mama and then left the family because the mama dying from AIDS. And now Lady Di mama is like, yo daddy ain't no good either. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't think he is. Yeah. After like her fifth bottle. Mm-hmm. So Lady Di mama was like, yo daddy was unfaithful with all the women in this village. All basically. of them. And to go even further... Your friend that's inside out that had the operation for the cleft lip, ha, that's your half-sister. Whoa. Because that baby is your daddy baby. Right, right. So not all her friends was like half-sisters, but Maria specifically. And there was a point, I don't know what it is about books where little girls fall in love with each other. I just love it. (laughs) I love it so much. So it's one point where before Maria has her operation, she's talking to Lady Di and she's like, Mama said I'll never get married because no man's ever going to want me because I'm ugly. And then Lady Di was like, okay, girl, but marriage ain't hot anyway. <laughs> I'm not I'm not doing that <laughs> and either. She, and she said um, her friend looked at her and fell in love with her. Yeah. Like they were bonded. Yeah. They didn't even know they were sisters and they were bonded like sisters. Yeah, that was They sweet. like shared comments. Oh, I just loved it. It was so cute. Yeah, that was really sweet. <laughs> Lady Di found this out when she was just 12 years old and her mother promised, made her promise not to tell Maria. That night, Lady Di and her mother got so drunk. <laughs> the baby and the mama. The 12 and for real, year she old. was a baby. She was 12, yeah. Got drunk on the beer. When the father came home to see them both drunk after this, the father left for America. Yeah, so this was a flashback. Before he left the family for good and before he even left for the States, this happened. Right. Her mama told her everything and they both got drunk. She said that was the first time she realized alcohol could take pain away. Yeah. The baby was 12. 12. Mm-hmm. 12. 12. Now, there was some uh, commentary about the people of Guerrero. They were considered full of anger. They were dangerous people. And Lady Di's mother seemed um, seemed to kind of fit this because she seemed like she was always angry. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> she, she was bitter. Everything she did, yeah. when she was cutting tomatoes, it was like she was cutting up her husband. Mm-hmm. When she was hacking at the yard, it was like she was hacking her husband's head off. So she was a deeply bitter woman. Deeply Everything bitter. she did was motivated by hate for her husband. Mm-hmm. But she also had this, and, and that was, of course, after she found out about his infidelities. Before that, she, I mean, she still loved him, though. She still loved yeah, him. That's and why waited she hated him so much. For him yeah. to come back. There was one time she said um, she heard her mother on the phone with him. And she, what did she say? I think she said, I. Um, oh, don't tell it. Oh, she was like, oh, I wish she was here right now. Something <laughs> like that. She was loving that man. Yeah, she loved and he him. broke her heart and she became intensely angry. Yeah. And, and so, then he left forever. Yeah. yeah. And so Lady Di's mom believed in revenge. OK, she believed in revenge. It was very real to it her. It was her religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so she told Lady Di, always be the cook. Never let anyone cook for you. 
Never. She was in here po- poisoning people's foods. Mm-hmm. And she had some mm-hmm. concoctions. Part three. In the little schooling that Lady Di received, she was with her lifelong friends, Paula, Maria, Estefani. One school year, Jose Rosa came from Mexico City to teach. All the girls except Stefani thought him handsome. And that Stefani didn't think him handsome because she was always going to Mexico City and, and seeing way more men. And she felt like there was more beautiful men out there. And she would go to Mexico City for her mother to get her um, treatment for the AIDS virus. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Jose Rosa was 23 years old. The mothers fell in love with the teacher. Every morning they sent him treats. They all went to the hair salon to get their hair done. Lady Di's <laughs> mom um, dyed her hair blonde. Um, and she was the first to actually have him over. And so as they sat one evening, uh, they drank beer. And he talked about how they lived. He complained. I mean, he was rude. He talked about... Why y'all live here? Oh, it's full of flies. Oh, my goodness. Ain't no men. Where the men at? Yeah. He was ignorant. Yeah, yeah, very ignorant. He was only there to get, like, these credits for having, you know, uh, volunteered his time, basically, in a harsh climate. Right. In a poor area. Yeah. Yeah. But he was focused on teaching the girls. That's one thing to his credit. Her mother went in the house after he said all these things, including... um. How y'all living in a world without men? She went into the house, got in bed, and kind of passed out holding a gun. Lady Di walked her teacher around to the back of the house, and she said, let me show you something. So she showed them this beer bottle cemetery, and it was filled with hundreds of bottles of beer that her mom had drinking. They're empty. She also got... He also got a glimpse of their underwear hanging on the clothesline. They were filled with holes, and the crotches were worn out and stained. I mean, he saw too much. He then asked Lady Di, how old are you? And he wa- and she ends up walking him down to the nearby highway so he can get back to his house. That was crazy to me. <laughs> uh, crazy. The next she morning. She was like uh, 12. He was like, oh, okay, can you walk me to my car? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and she said he was glad. And he was glad because he was a little scary cat while he talking all that mess. Yeah. The next morning, Lady Di asked her mother what she was doing with a gun, to which her mother responded, some men need killing. <laughs> on her way to school, <laughs> she noticed on the way to school, Lady Di noticed the hurried movement of the ants and the lizards and the birds. They de- they seemed disturbed. And then she realized why. She heard the helicopters in the distance. They were flying above. They were spraying the herbicide. So she ran. She ran to the school. And not- so this is a very real thing um, to curb the supposedly to curb the creation of illegal drugs. Um, the municipal services will have pesticide poison sprayed from the sky on villages. That's now, this crazy. doesn't just just kill vegetation and even if it did just kill vegetation that's poison in the earth yeah. how you gonna grow something in a land full of poison yeah. but it also touches bodies it can create birth defects it can create um you know those are carcinogens so so yeah. she ran to the school the door was already closed she beat on the door and jose uh rosa let her in everyone was there except paula then paula per- burst through the door drenched in the herbicide 
They all knew that if you got the herbicide in your mouth, you could die. The herbicide burned the skin. It could blind you. The girls took Paula into the bathroom, stripped her down, and tried to wash off all the herbicide with sink water and then toilet water because the sink water wasn't coming out fast enough. Jose Rosa looked in in silence. They wrapped a naked Paula in a curtain from the classroom. At the school, as the school year ended, Jose Rosa prepared the classroom for the next teacher. And as he's leaving, he kissed 13-year-old Lady Di on the lips twice. That happened. Yeah, for, for real nasty. That happened. Inappropriate, disgusting. Mm-hmm. Right. One day, Lady Di's mother told her to get in the hole. A tan SUV pulled up. Lady Di's mother had her gun ready. And when they pulled up, they said, where's your daughter? She said, I don't have a daughter. They said, don't lie to me, mother. Run and hide in the hole. What'd you say, mama? Run and hide in the hole right now. Hush. What? Hush. Hush. My mother had been outside when she saw a tan colored SUV in the distance. More than actually seeing it, she heard it. There'd been a silence in the jungle as the insects and birds grew still. Quick, she said, run, run. I ran out the front door toward the small clearing at the side of the house under a small palm tree. The hole was covered with dry palm fronds. I moved the fan-like leaves to one side and scrambled in. From inside, I reached for the fronds and pulled them back over the opening. The hole was too small. My father had dug it up when I was six years old. I had to lie down on my side with my knees at my chest, like skeletal remains of ancient burials I'd seen on television. I could see slivers of light peer in on me through the thatch of leaves. I heard the sound of a motor approach. The ground around me trembled as the SUV drove up to our small house and stopped in the clearing right above the hole and right above me. My small space became dark as I lay in the shadow of the vehicle. Through the leaves, I could see the SUV's underbelly, a web of tubes and metal. Above me, the motor was turned off. I could hear the sound of the handbrake as it was cranked into place. The car door opened on the driver's side. One brown cowboy boot with a high but square and manly heel stepped out of the car. Those boots did not belong to this land. No one wore boots like that in this heat. As he stood with the car door open, he looked straight at my mother. From the hole, I could only see his boots and her red plastic flip-flops face each other. Good day, mother, he said. The man's voice did not belong to this land. The boots and his voice were from the north of Mexico. Is it always this hot here? He asked. How hot do you think it is? My mother did not answer. Aye, mother. Put down that gun. The other car door opened. I could not swivel in my hole to try and look around, so I just listened. From the passenger side of the SUV, another man stepped out. Do you want me to shoot her missing? (coughs) The second man asked. He coughed and wheezed after he spoke. He had an asthmatic voice from the desert, a voice of rattlesnakes and sandstorms. Where's your daughter, huh? The first man asked. I don't have a daughter. Ah, yes you do. Don't lie to me, mother. I heard a bullet hit the SUV. The vehicle shook above me. I heard the bra-ta-ta explosion of machine gun fire, along with the sound of the bullets breaking up the adobe brick walls of our home. Then it stopped. The jungle swelled and contracted. Insects, reptiles, and birds stilled, and nothing rubbed against anything. The sky darkened. The machine gun had fired the wind out of the mountain. We were your best hope, mother, the first man said. I birthmarked the place, didn't I? <coughs> I heard the second man say through a shrill wheeze that became a whistle. The two men got back in the car and slammed the door shut. The driver turned the key and started the motor. When he placed his boot on the accelerator above me, my hole was filled with the vehicle's exhaust fumes. I opened my mouth and breathed in the noxious smoke. The car backed up and drove off down the path. The next day, up the mountain at the clearing, 
where the cell phones, the only place where the cell phones work, they learned the same men had stolen Paula. Paula's mother told the story. She didn't hear them coming. The dogs didn't bark. She never heard them kill the dogs. Her and Paula were watching TV. They had just finished bathing and were wrapped in their towels, cooling off, sitting on the couch when she heard a noise. They were so close, they could have touched them. They pointed a pistol at her and told her to come with them. She was still in her tile. Paula's mother followed them outside and watched the SUV drive away. The area around the house was covered with bleeding dogs. The next school year, the teacher wasn't quite as diligent as Jose Rosa. He didn't care. He was eager to return to his family. He came in every day and played music. He was like, y'all still here? <laughs> okay. That was the last year Suit they went yourself. to school. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the teacher announced that there were no, uh, there would be no final exams, and he signed their diplomas. School. For real, though, uh, this scenario is playing out in some Chicago public school right now. Uh, so. True story. True story. Upon completion um, of the schooling, um, Lady Di's mother was like, I don't want you out here doing this, that, and the other. Uh, and if you get pregnant, I'm going to kill you. So one day, Lady Di and her mo- mother were up in the clearing when Mike came near. He gave, Maria's brother. Yeah, Maria's brother. He gave Lady Di's mother a gold chain. and He said, I always wanted you to give you something pretty. You've got enough ugly in your house. Mike told them he knew a family in Acapulco that needed help with their small child and was looking for a nanny. The family was rich and she made plenty and they made plenty of money. So, again, Lady Di could make plenty of money. That afternoon, she ran into Paula and found out what happened to her. So Paula had come back by this time. Yeah. And her mother was feeding her from a bottle. Paula wouldn't really talk. She was kind of, well, no, she was traumatized. She was traumatized. She was traumatized. So, so everyone was happy to have her back, but she will never be the same. Right. So she was sitting by herself when on Lady Di walked upon her. Yeah. yeah. And, she, and they never sat on the ground because the insects would just crawl up your bare legs. But Lady Di sat next to her for a little bit. And she was like, we need to get up. This is too much. The, but Lady Di was like, tell me. Whatever is on your heart, tell me now. Mm-hmm. Talk to me. She noticed that Paula had um, was covered with cigarette burns that she had done herself while she was held captive. She said that this would help the kidnapped women be identified as stolen if they were ever found. She says she was stolen by an important drug trafficker named McLean, who lived with his wife and four children. McLean had been a policeman, and Paula was his slave mistress. McLean owned lots of cars and a lion and three tigers. I mean, he was a big drug trafficker. The animals have been purchased from zoos in the U.S. Every day, the lion and tiger excrement was picked up and wrapped in drug shipments bound for the U.S. The practice kept the drug-sniffing dogs away. Paula's job was to be regularly, every once in a while, be assaulted by McLean and help pack the lion and tiger excrement around the drugs and rub a small amount a small um, and rub a small film on the outside of the plastic packages she arrived the day of McLean's daughter's birthday party his daughter was 15 they rented a whole circus for her party Paula was taken to a tent far from the other tents and was there with about 30 other women and a few men all had been stolen they were to be sold except for Paula who wasn't present after um, she shared her story, Lady Di took Paula home, and her mother told her they couldn't stay here anymore. 
They had to run away, and they did. When they did leave, Lady Di and her mother went to collect some of the things from Paula's house, including pictures of Paula from her time away as a slave mistress. One day, she left her mother at home. Lady Di left her mother at home drinking her fifth bottle of beer, and she went to meet Maria. This is like the day before she's going to head off to the job as a nanny. Lady Di wanted to tell her that they had the same father. As Lady Di caught Maria up about Paula, she mentions the pictures she had found at Paula's house, and Maria wanted to see them. As they arrive back at the house, Lady Di's mother comes out and she shoots. Did you look at them carefully? Did you look and see if one of the women in the photos was Ruth? No. Let's go. We stood and marched out of the schoolroom toward my house. We walked quickly, almost skipping, filled with the hope of finding Ruth's face in the photographs. In our foolish dreams, we ran through the jungle, filled with a silly joy. It was that fast. Fast like an arm that became a snake. Her arm moved. I saw the shadow on the wall. And then, so fast, like when a scorpion lifts up its tail, or an iguana zaps its tongue out into the hive-like vapor of gnats. That fast. My mother had the small silver pistol in her hand, and everything was ready. It was as if the whole Syria Madre grew still. I heard the sound of crushed bone, and that was a sound I'd never heard before. I heard the sound of crushed bone as the bullet went into Maria, into my half-sister, into my father's other daughter, into the daughter that looked just like him. This could happen after 10 bottles of beer mixed with tequila. If they'd drawn my mother's blood into a syringe, her blood would have been yellow. If her blood had been placed in a test tube and held up to the light, it would have been pure corona. But no one would do a test or call the police on our mountain. Calling the police was like inviting a scorpion into your house. Who does that? My mother always says. What happened to my mother that afternoon? The light held that moment between afternoon and dusk. And that light, that is almost not light. Who does she think was at the threshold? I knelt beside Maria and looked into my father's face. I looked at her face and it was like looking into a lake. Under the surface, as if I could see a lake bed of stones and silverfish, I could see her torn face, the stitches, and the scars of the lip hair. I could feel the warm blood in my hands as I opened her clothes to look at the wound. When Maria opened her eyes, we looked at each other. What was that? She asked. They take a cab to the hospital. The cab driver is being a pervert. So, so Lady Di decides to take her revenge out as her mother taught her and she peed in the cab seats. <laughs> at, at the hospital, they learned that Maria's arm was fractured. After this, Lady Di felt Maria would never speak to her again. The next day, Mike picked up Lady Di to take her to her first nanny job in Acapulco. Halfway to Acapulco, Mike stopped off at a man's house. The man had a machine gun. Mike got out of the car, told the man Lady Di was blind, and locked her in the car, blind from birth. As she sat in the hot car, she dozed off, not sure if she was in the car for 10 minutes or 2 hours. She woke as the dogs began to bark. Mike got in the car and drove away. As they drove along, Lady Di noticed blood splattered on Mike's light blue jeans. Mike asked why Lady Di was called Lady Di. She didn't tell Mike the real story, but she told us. She said her mother named her after Lady Di because she hated what Prince Charles had done to Diana. As they drove along, Mike told Lady Di 
you know, your father sends my mother money every month. What? what? <laughs> Lady Di yeah. was shocked. She longed to see her father. She wanted to know where the money was coming from. But he was sending money to Maria's mother and not her and her mother. When Mike dropped her off at the home um, where she would be working, he told her to take this plastic bag and hold it until he needed it. And he pulled off without waiting for the homeowner to come to the door. Part four. At the house, the new house, Lady Di had met, was met by the housekeeper who was 70 years old and told her the family had been away for over a week and wasn't sure when they would arrive. The house was beautiful. She loved it. She had her own room. I mean, these people were rich. Lady Di learned soon after her arrival that Julio, the gardener, also lived there. When Lady Di met him, she fell in love. Julio was in his early 20s. She followed him around as he worked. One day, as they were sitting at the table, the housekeeper told him the homeowners were killed on the highway a month ago. They all decided to stay until they could find other work. Lady Di continued to follow Julio around and until the until finally the 16-year-old and the 20-something-year-old were in a whole relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay, that happened. Julio mm-hmm. moved into the house, and eventually Julio and Lady Di moved into the master bedroom. They stayed in the house for six months waiting for something to happen. Julio told Lady Di that he'd killed a U.S. Border Patrol guard, and he was expected to have died in the river trying to get away. One day, Lady Di receives a call from her mother and is told Mike was arrested and accused of murdering a man and his little girl. Her mother told her she needed to return to give testimony to free Mike. Lady Di said, mm, I don't think I want to do that. You know, I'm good. I'm good. But thank you for that. Op- Testa, who? Yeah. All right then, mama. Bye. Have fun shooting my friend. You break it up. You break it up. <laughs> Have a drink, mama. I can't hear you. Okay, bye. Three days later, the oh, Julio. <laughs> Three days later, the police knocked at the door in ski masks carrying machine guns. And as soon as Julio realized it was the police, he made a run for it. The police searched the house and found the machine guns and the drugs Lady Di had hidden. Now, the machine guns belonged to the homeowners. This man had a business doing stuff and surely it was Mm -hmm. drug related. One of the police asked if they should shoot the grandma. They shot the housekeeper. They took Lady Di in a helicopter to Mexico City to take her to jail. Lady Di was sent to the Santa Marta jail. She was placed in a room with Luna, a woman who'd lost her arm in a train accident. Luna looked out for Lady Di and took her to a British woman named Georgia, who was jailed for attempting to smuggle heroin to Mexico. People mocked her for that. But how did she do it? And her. She was a, she was a supermodel. <laughs> Georgia, right? right. You said Georgia. Georgia. Mm-hmm. Georgia was a supermodel, and she put heroin in the platforms of her shoes <laughs> to bring it into Mexico. So people was like, what kind of dummy brings heroin into Mexico? So she was like the butt of everyone's joke in the prison. Yeah, everyone. <laughs> a supermodel in prison, yeah. by the way. Like some Belgian supermodel. It was random. <laughs> she was random and stupid. <laughs> With family that loved her. With and was in money. That loved her. Uh-huh. Yes. Georgia let Lady Di use her phone without cost because of her name. Because she had a cell phone in jail, like a lot of people Mm -hmm. do. But you know, that's contraband. Yep. 
when Lady Di reached out to call her mother, she knew she had been sitting around on the mountain clearing day and night waiting for her call. Her mother told her, thank God I've been a robber all my life, Lady Di. I'm going to sell everything. <laughs> Tell me where you are, sugar sweet baby. I'll be there in two days. Goodbye. And she hung up. <laughs> Lady Di. <laughs> she didn't even wait for her to tell her where she was because she knew where she yeah. was. She just. She didn't wait. That woman loved her baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One day, while the women were in the art class, it was an art collage class, Lady Di noticed Aurora. And Aurora was a woman that fumigated for insects, and she had the same cigarette burns that Paula had. Lady Di grabbed her arm to get a closer look, and Aurora asked, Are you the real Lady Di? Paula's <laughs> friend? Aurora then told everyone at the table that she knew Lady Di's life. She learned that even Paula knew Maria was Lady Di's half-sister. So basically, the secret you keep, yeah, folks know, girl. (laughs) Everybody knows. I'm in prison in Mexico City. Was it Mexico City? Yeah. Listen, I'm in prison, and I even know. Right. So that was silly of you. The next day, (laughs) Lady Di went to Aurora's cell to hear more about Paula. She told her more about McLean and Paula's life with McLean. She also learned that Aurora had poisoned five men on McLean's ranch, and that's why she was in jail. Lady Di Mm -hmm. told Aurora what Paula was like when she returned. The next morning, she had another conversation with Aurora. Aurora asked Lady Di, "Um, when you killed McLean, why did you kill Paula's little girl? This what? replayed in Lady Di's head over and over again. On Sunday morning, Lady Di prepared to be see to see her mom. Wait, are you gonna explain that? I can't. It's too much. Listen, listen. Okay, we'll give y'all the spark notes. So, uh, Aurora is like, when you killed McLean, that big drug trafficker guy, why did you also kill Paula's baby? And Lady Di's like, I ain't kill nobody. So the thing is, when she was sleeping in that car, Mike was killing folks. That's why he had blood on his jeans. And apparently he killed McLean, the one who Paula was presented to as a gift, and killed Paula's baby for reasons we don't know throughout the book. You know, we never really find out. Um, but... Lady Di does remember the little girl's dress hanging from like a cord yeah. in the yard. I guess that was pretty important so. to include. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just the footnote about McLean, because Paula has that tattoo that says cannibal's baby. Uh, he might have eaten people. Yeah. <laughs> so he might have been a cannibal. And that's what he was known for. Mm-hmm. Aside from being super wealthy, super into drugs and having a family. Mm-hmm. Oh, and still in people. And still in people. These are dangerous men, theatrically dangerous. Right. Like. You know, so on Sunday morning, Lady Di prepared to see her mom. As she walked to the visitor area, she saw her father walking toward her. But it wasn't her father. It was Maria. And Lady Di had never been more thankful for her father's infidelity. Maria. So we see now why Lady Di's mama shot Maria because the girl looks so much like the dad. And Lady Di's mama been waiting her whole life to shoot her dad. So, so she just made a mistake. Yeah, she was she in a drunken a stupor. She saw him coming. She thought, that's him. I'm going to kill him when I see him. And that was her chance. Mm-mm-mm. Maria explained that her mother had been killed and she had hid in the hole as they shot her mother in their home with machine guns. Maria told Lady Di that her mother had cared for her since the death of her mother. 
as they visited. So Lady Di's mama been taking care of Maria. Yeah. The baby that her husband had out of the marriage. Mm-hmm. As they visited, volcanic ash dropped from the sky and visitors were told they had to leave and prisoners had to return to the jail. Maria told Lady Di her mother would come tomorrow to get her out of jail. Lady Di told her that she'd have to go to juvenile detention center and return to the jail when she turned 18. When her mother came for her the next day, she said they, Maria and Lady Di, they was leaving for the States. Lady Di told them she was pregnant and her mother said, let's hope it's a boy. The end. The end. Let's take a quick break. break? Mm -hmm. Okay, let's do it. about girls missing um, throughout Mexico, but especially along the border, is 100% true. And Jennifer Clement did her research. She spoke with women in jail who were connected or at least allegedly um, connected with narcos activity. Um, She spoke with people who lived in certain areas throughout Mexico. Um, She's Mexican herself, but to get that point of view, she went to the source. So I respect her... um, initiative she didn't just create a story from stereotypes she's heard about she is a researcher um so i appreciated uh the many truths told in this fiction i appreciated hearing about them um especially in the prison scene it's not it's maybe like um like a fifth of the book yeah it's just the the last part of the book but everyone in the prison is given a character that feels real fully formed story um, which i love yeah, everything in this book is done with intent. So pay attention. I had to pay attention because nothing is just said just to say right. it. It all means something. And as I think about it later, that meaning changes for me. So I love a book that does that. It's like 215 pages. It's really, you know, it's a quick read. It's a short book. I won't say it's a quick read because it's rich. It's dense. But it's um, it's on the shorter side. So I appreciated that. I, I um, would definitely recommend this book. I felt like it's... Um, when it talks about violence and even when it talks about intimacy, it does it in a very, um, it's not crass at all. It, it, it is not, you're not supposed to fa- romanticize right. violence right. or anything with this. It is really about these, what these women feel. It's like putting into words feelings. So even some of the, um, the scenes aren't to be taken literally. It's about the feeling around it. And I thought Jennifer wrote in that way beautifully it's when I think about how a woman writes this is what I think about how you take into account the entire person the thoughts the feelings the whole soul so I really loved it and I would recommend it what about you Alexis what'd you think of this book and would you recommend it I enjoyed the book um uh, flashbacks not identified as flashbacks that you have to catch up with yeah I have a hard time with that and that um so that for me was uh confusing I actually had to read go through it twice because I needed mm-hmm. to pick up where um, what was happening when. And I was like, well, she said that already. Why is she repeating that? I felt like she repeated things a lot. And I was like, so that was hard for me. But mm-hmm. overall, the story itself, hearing about the lives of um, people in this situation, um, I thought that was um, truly engaging. And I, and I loved learning about it. So I would yeah, definitely same here. recommend this book. 
for that purpose. And it makes me want to read some nonfiction about the missing girls in Mexico. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the stories are indeed rich. I mean, there's lots of details when it comes to these stories. And, and so you mm-hmm. really get a sense of what's going on over there. What are we reading next week, Alexis? The Murder of Roger Ackroyd by Agatha Christie. That's right. Okay absolutely i've been waiting to read this for a while i'm looking forward to it and it's a shorter one i think it's two is under like this week's book under 230 pages so readers if you don't have a lot of time to read perhaps the our agatha christie next week's book is for you thank you for listening to lit society we'll see you next thursday lit society is brought to you by alexis Anaria and kari herrera support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on apple Podcasts. That's right. Along with the comment about why you absolutely love Please us. Because, us. hey, we love, you. we love y'all we too. We appreciate you. And appreciate you. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. We know you enjoyed it. Tell your friends. Tell your mama. Uh-huh. Visit <laughs> LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this one's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, read, read something. something. I should have did All that right. in Spanish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>